Alright everybody, what's going on? It's time once more for This Week in Mormons, your greatest podcast devoted to Latter-day Saint news and culture found anywhere in the world or in other worlds heretofore unknown to us until later in this great eternal saga. I'm your host, Jeff Openshaw, and I'm thankful to be here and thankful that you are with me. And I'm joined once more by, let's face it, one of my favorite people, Jared Gillens is here, everybody. Uh, gosh, can you hear me blushing? Did you hear the blood rush to my cheeks? I did. It was sonorous and lovely. Thank you. I, I'm As always, I'm I'm just always happy to be here. I'm, I'm glad to be here on the air, well, on the virtual air with you to talk about what has happened this week in Mormons. So, uh, good week going on. Lots of fun stuff happening in the world of Latter-day Saint news. A good grab bag of information this week. We've I'm not going to lead off with the big news that dropped this morning. I think we'll get to that. Uh, I'm just going to lead off with a simple happy story about the Feather River, California Temple. Did anybody else have to look up where that was? I had to. So this this brings up a topic that we wrote an article about or talked about the other week. And the sisters talked about it last week because uh, the church also renamed, you know, the Washington County Utah Temple. Oh, right. We talked about the second St. George one is now the Red Cliffs Utah Temple. Right. And so, which, which means we have d- new temples named after natural features. The Feather River is the largest tributary of the Sacramento River in Northern California. It primarily runs from Lake Oroville down into the north of Sacramento area. In this case, the Feather River California Temple will be in the in Yuba City. And when they announced the temple, they said the temple was going to go in Yuba City, California. But then they renamed it to Feather River. And uh, the sisters made a funny point last week because they said, like, well, how do I know where this is? And you just said the same thing, Jared. Like, how do I know where this is? But at the same time, and this goes to a deeper issue, I think, in that temples are so often named from an American perspective in terms of, like, branding a place because really, shouldn't the temple just matter for the people it serves the most, even in terms of what it's called? Huh. Like, if you call it the Feather River, Cal- like, are we naming a temple because we want to have international notoriety for the temple, or just because, or just so that people know what their temple is? Like, wh- so are you I saying care? that calling it Feather River is sort of a nod to the locals and saying like it doesn't matter if nobody else knows where Feather River is, you do, and. I think it's yours. fine. I think it might sound cooler than Yuba City, I guess. But and also perhaps maybe it represents the Temple District better, which probably knowing the the way the metropolitan areas are organized in that area probably kind of follow broadly the Feather River or the plain thereof. So fine, call it the Feather River Temple. I mean, just as well where I'm from, the Newport Beach, California Temple. Of course, they keep that one because like Newport Beach has all this like nice you know bougie cachet. But it might as well have been called the Orange County California Temple because it like exclusively serves Orange County and the 14 stakes within it. So call it Feather River. I mean, you're not going to call it the North Sacramento Temple. And I guess it's better than Yuba City or maybe the Saints across the river in Marysville through a fit. I don't know. But I'm okay with it. It's fine. Like, who cares? Like, I don't need to look at a map and have the church spell out for me that this is in Ubis. I don't know. Like, do I have to have an exact geographic identifier for every temple? Well, the thing do our do our wards have geographic identifiers anymore nowadays? Alexandria and First Ward, sure. A lot of the places we are do, but you know how it is out, especially in Utah and elsewhere out sure. west. Now the wards are just called 
you know, the Lonely Meadows Ward, the Sudden Valley Ward. They're just random. <laughs> Sudden Valley. Uh, sorry, I'm just going to call it out. You you dropped a really good uh, Arrested Development. <laughs> Thank you. And <laughs> I, I I decided to uh, start rewatching it this week. So <laughs> Sudden Valley. Fantastic. Uh, but you know, like you know what I mean. Like this is a common thing we do. We've anywhere where the church is denser, it seems we've ditched geographic identifiers anyway. So. Well, here's the thing. Like, like you said, you know, imagining this sort of or municipal identifiers. Sorry. Right. And again, let's imagine this international perspective or whatever but like yeah if you said yuba city temple like again most no people, one knows what that is yeah either. either way you're gonna have to google it right and that's so. why i do think there's some sort of unofficial line on these things like i don't think you'd rename the washington dc temple the kensington maryland temple or what about the or what, cherry or whatever blossom else. neighborhood temple yeah or like you're not going to rename these ones that are the heavies so to speak and i don't want to say one temple is more important than another but in terms of pr it says something when we have a Manhattan, New York temple, uh, more than one that we would call the Lincoln Center, New York. I don't know what else we'd call it, right? But uh, so, yeah, no one knows where Yuba City is. And at the same time, does it matter? Are we building temples so that the saints in, in the Czech Republic are like aware that Yuba City, California now has a temple? I don't think right. it matters. I mean, it matters I, that the people in really Yuba City have down, you say the several miles north of Sacramento temple so that now, Oh, I can know that point of reference. Thank you. Yes. Really? We should rename all the temples based on how far away they are from Utah. Similar to how the grid system works in Salt Lake city, you know, you know, 200 West, 500 South, whatever you want to do. They should just spread that across the world. The the plat of Zion being spread to the corners of the earth. Yes. It could be like our own prime meridian. Salt Lake city is the new Greenwich and that we just name temples according to that. That would just remove any ambiguity whatsoever that is my piece well again i I think that's a wrap i think that we're not going to say anything more important in this show than what you just said there oh well okay fair enough (laughs) well i'm trying to i was trying to think of what to like to go to and you started out with temples and so i'm really tempted to like okay how about this how about that no 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 no, no. let's 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 pivot from temples to family history how about that all right fair enough let's do it so i got it is temple and family history that's what we call it so that that works that is correct so I got a text from Jeff uh, yesterday or the day <laughs> You're before. You're going to help me. <laughs> uh, no, no. And he said, hey, did you get an email like this? And I checked my email and I sure did. Uh, and we both got here. Let me, I'm going to pull it up, actually. I'm going to pull it up right now. So uh, I got an email from Family Search because I have a Family Search account because I am an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. And the, the, the subject line of the email was Jared. Your relative traveled thousands of miles for religious freedom. And Jeff, funny enough, got the, like the same subject line in an email. Uh, I'm guessing your email wasn't referring to Eli- Elizabeth Lester. Of, no, uh, sir. No, uh, no. Well, it was my ancestor for right. sure. Okay. So this is my ancestor, Elizabeth Lester, on the my mom's side. Anyway, so then you click the link and you go through and then you get another announcement on the on, on this family search page it says your relative might have immigrated to america for religious freedom <laughs> and so it, it, they seem to be walking back and so then i signed in to say well you know what's going on here and elizabeth lester so really what this seems to be doing is promoting a new feature which is pretty cool called what was it called i don't want to mess up the name I was, the saints by the sea yeah saints by the right? sea project so this is cool cool. somebody had uh you know and there's a whole article about it um that that i think you can put up on the twin page if you haven't already on facebook 
But uh, so somebody compiled this great compendium of stories of um, saints, uh, you know, converts who were to the church in the early days of the church, who emigrated to the United immigrated to the United States by sea from mostly from like Western and Northern Europe. Um, anyway, he's compiled all these stories, and then somebody had the brilliant idea to think, hey, why don't we like cross reference these stories that he's compiled with the records that are in Family Search, and then we people can link you know click through and see the not just who these ancestors were but what their story was and how they traveled and so it's pretty cool so i went i went I, because i was curious about this claim of tra of traveling for religious freedom i ended up reading uh several of the ship's logs and you know the missionaries journals that they had compiled uh, that was about elizabeth lester's trip and i learned some cool stuff but there was zero any evidence at all that any of the people that were on the ship were immigrating in the name of religious freedom it seemed like they were immigrating in the name of the prophet has called us to gather to zion uh which is a different thing it's not the same thing as religious freedom i have found in my studies um i don't know if you found the same thing jeff yeah I, and that, that's the whole reason i texted you in the first place because i was like what like this i felt it, it seemed to me i'm not saying that like you know the brethren called up family search and said, here's what you're going to do. They very well might have, or it could have been people at family search who are feeling zealous about religious freedom, decided this would be a fun way to do some click funnels. Right. I don't know. Uh, Cause family search sends out emails on the regular oh, yeah. and the, like, like any other organization, it's email marketing. They want us to have a reason to click, to click and to use the service and to make a habit of using it. That's the entire internet in a nutshell. <laughs> um, so I get it completely. But what I do not get is if they would have sent me an email that said, look at this new Saints by the Sea thing we put together, which is a legitimately great effort with useful information. Why is that alone not enough to compel us? Because the same day we received this email, they published the article explaining Saints by the Sea. They timed it. So they both came out. So why instead did I get an email that falsely claimed that my great grandfather not might have or thought about it, but that says my great grandfather immigrated to America for religious freedom, period. The other part's true. It says he was one of many brave immigrants who left their homeland to build a better life. Sure, that's true. But then I love that they say, my great-grandfather did this, point blank. And then like you said, when you click on it, you're not logged in. It says they might have. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, well, I mean, who's to say? Right now that you're here. And then you click uh, all the, and then you sign in, and then there's no mention at all. Of there's this. no mention of this, as far as I can tell. About my, it's just my great grandfather, my grandfather's dad. Okay, who did come from England, as far as we know. Uh, that's fine, and there's great stories there. But why? I don't understand why it feels like the religious freedom campaign was shoehorned into this. And, and really, that, and oh, that's what bugged me a lot about it. Because I was like, guys, like I know that we love talking about religious freedom, even though it's this. I guess we're trying to say it's a moral issue. So we want all the saints to be concerned about it and have it fresh in their minds all the time. But, but if you start mind, talking about things in terms of religious freedom that have nothing to do with religious freedom, you're kind of cheapening the term. You're diluted. Yeah. You're cheapening diluting the it argument. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Like when people are like, you know, I, this thing was an infringement of my first amendment. Right. And it turns out that, you know, somebody in Walmart asked them not to say a bad word. And, you know, it's like, well, Walmart isn't subject to the first amendment, like the first amendment and your state. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, we're talking about, I mean, on the one hand, you could make an argument that, you know, it's important to have freedom of speech in all forums. And you might, you know, try and talk about why that would be an important thing. And, in, in, you know, at the clothing 
rack yeah, at I Walmart. Mean, I mean, but like, yeah, I mean, but it, you know, the, but the same thing. And it, it might be important to recognize that some of these people may have been like, I have an ancestor that's like, part of the lore that we've been taught is, you know, he was in a small town in Southern Norway. And uh, supposedly when he converted to the church, the, the local uh, you know, pastor said you're no longer welcome here. You know, kicked him out of the town. And that's I could see that being framed as a religious freedom argument, but I didn't see any of the story like that when I clicked through. You know, uh, through this email. So yeah, I mean, come on, let's talk about religious freedom when it's religious freedom, and let's talk about whatever it is. Like, let's 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 find let's use appropriate labels when we discuss issues in history. How about that? Yeah, appropriate labels and not. It just it. Ugh. The weird, I mean, I know I've been sensitive about this ever since the Elder Bednar's remarks a month or so ago. And it's just why I just feel like we're going out of our way to bring this whole thing up and we don't need to. And it's just driving me nuts because it just wasn't true. You punks, he left from England in the late 19th century. And while I know it wasn't the same there, religious freedom still wasn't the same in England. And I know that the history there is very different. The acts of settlement, all that kind of stuff, right? You know, that's the that was the act that decreed that the monarch had to be in communion with the Church of England. It was specifically designed to prevent a Catholic from ascending to the throne. And until like less than 10 years ago, if you if a member of the royal line married a Catholic, they were taken out of the out of the line of succession, all kinds of stuff, right? But this wasn't like my ancestor who might have come over on the Mayflower or something like legitimately seeking like religious freedom. Anyway, right. you've said it all. I don't need to repeat it, but it's weird. So yeah. thank you yeah. very much for that church. <laughs> <sighs> well, speaking of other stuff to be ragey about real quick, anti-maskers, Jana Reese, you're on a roll. This is this this has got to be one of her most beautiful. Speaking articles. of our freedoms. I would love to see I would love to see the analytics on this article to know how how much it's flown like crazy. Uh, this is in her flunking sainthood column. And the, the thing worth noting this time around is while Jana often has a point that's explicitly religious or about the church, this is really pretty much just a fusillade against people who aren't wearing masks. Like, I don't see a lot in here that's saying, like, we as Latter-day Saints. It's basically just like, look, anti-maskers, you're ruining this for everyone. Get right. with the get with the program. That's well, all the column is. Right. It, and, it, would, and, and I think that maybe, I mean, there's evidence that this may have at least in part been inspired by that, uh, that um, city council meeting or what was a school board meeting at the, in Utah County. You know, where yeah. the people showed yeah. up refusing, you know, 100 people showed up without, you know, refusing to wear masks. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, I think it is Mormon adjacent, at least what probably her inspiration for writing the article. But you're right. Like the, the, the target audience isn't like Mormons or ex-Mormons or whatever. It's anybody who refuses to wear a mask. So that was interesting. And Sorry, I kind of cut you off. You can keep going, man. Well, I, no, well, and that being the point, though, is that there's not even an explicitly Latter-day Saint angle to take this. This was just almost like Jana Reese exploding in her frustration about the anti-mask thing. I agree. I think maybe the, the meeting helped precipitate this article. But one thing I was not aware of was the interesting factoid that way back in Lake May, when the media was up in arms about the two Missouri hairdressers who continued cutting their hair, even though they had symptoms of COVID... Um, and they, they did the hair of 139 people, but uh, 
no one tested positive for the disease because they were wearing masks. At least that's what they're arguing. Both, yeah, they're, yeah, both the hairdressers and the clients, all everybody was required to wear masks and there was zero transmission, which is interesting. And there was no transmission. So that was an interesting little story that I had not heard before. So really, Jenna Reese just wants you to wear masks, people. Officially, we do too. Editorially at This Week in Mormons, we would encourage you to wear a mask because Utah, I just heard today, I was just... Uh, doing some news. Idaho's, which is not exclusively Latter-day Saint, of course, but Idaho's uh, infection rate has gone up by like 19,000%. Well, it was really low before. So it's it probably, was. It's probably not hard to have like astronomical, you know, percent gains like that when it was like before it was like 20, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, but, yeah. But, but there's a whole weird, there's a whole weird culture thing going on here, people, despite what even the brethren are telling us like in the Utah area, which could apply, which could be a example to all of us. So I don't know, wear your mask people. It's very strange. Yep. In fact, and uh, we actually did put this into our little show notes for things to talk about, but uh, BYU actually recently released a paper. Um, sorry. It, we should, we probably should have uh, put this in here, but uh, Tell this me is on more. the plant and wildlife sciences page of the of BYU's website. That's going to get the people to read it. That's right. So uh, for, for um, I don't know if these are professors. I, sorry, I didn't actually read through the entire thing. But basically, uh, these four science people at the Plant and Wildlife Sciences Department of BYU uh, published something pointing out all of the scientific evidence for the use of masks. And it was super interesting uh, seeing that come out through BYU's website and making a very impassioned plea, basically saying, Hey, I know this is hard for some of you, but there's really, really good reasons for us all to be wearing masks. So please do. Anyway, we can, we'll, I'll send that link to you, Jeff. And so you can put that up on the Twitter no, page so we can get some blowback for that too. <laughs> all the blowback for that. I mean, even, you know, the, you had the, the Utah area presidency said wearing masks would be a good idea. And yet people don't want to hear it. In fact, Jared, if I can toot my own horn, because I was trying to let you toot it for me, <laughs> but you would not toot. I was going uh, to I was going to say we're burying the lead here. This is our headline story. This is not the headline story, but it's always fun when 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 the media the media singular reaches out to me. And uh, so over KUER, which is the NPR National Public Radio affiliate for Utah, uh, reached out to us uh, and wanted to pick our brain because of you, the listeners, and you, our Facebook followers, and, and the incredible, let's call them discussions, euphemistically, about the Utah area presidency's encouragement for Utahns to wear a mask and much of the blowback therein. Uh, a lot, There's been a lot of that on our Facebook page over the past week and change, like it's been interesting to see. It's interesting to see people's perspectives on this. It's fascinating when you have individuals going as far as saying, like, well, the first presidency didn't say this, so who cares? Um, anyway, it was nice of them to reach out to us and offer our perspective because of all of the commentary that you guys have offered. So they saw a lot was going on and wanted to know what we thought about that. So just want to plug that there I am. There's my name, my last name, three times. Spelled correctly. Yeah, if they had not spelled it correctly, there would have been hell to pay, my friend. I would have called this fake news. <laughs> anyway, it's a good article, and it's really short. And I, I like the quote. I know 
Jeff told me that he confided in me that he was he had hoped that some of his some of the other comments and quotes he had given. I had heavier insights than this, but it was okay. In spite of that, I think you had a good insight, and I think it's a good little read. And everybody should take the the two minutes out of your day that it'll take to read this. And if you want to know, my my main insight was that I said all of us practice selective obedience in one form or another, right? And so. There are many who just like cannot get their head around wearing a mask, even if they're asked to by their leadership. There are there's stuff that I work through in my own discipleship as well. Um, I, I thought a lot. I wish you would have put this in there. I thought a lot about a year ago when they formally banned firearms in church, and the same thing happened. Perhaps even more so, where so many people just said, "There's no way." Like, no, I'm bringing my gun to church. Period. I don't care what they tell me, and it, we just we pick and choose the things we want to obey. I guess the main caveat here though, is that this is a public health emergency. Like not only I, I, I might choose my own discipleship and have issues with this and that, but that's more personal to me. And the choices I make about it have little bearing on the well being of my fellow man, at least directly. Right. But well, and as I mean, and it, which goes back to the January's thing, like, you know, in which she sort of flippantly notes that, you know, Anti-maskers are the reasons we can't have nice things. And Jeff, tragically, one of those nice things that we can't have because of anti-maskers. Chocolate. No. Well, that. But Book of Mormon movies, Book of Mormon short films. Do you mean those ones I've never watched? Yeah. So here's the thing. They're pretty good. Um, I mean, as far as Book of Mormon-based media and in in our- As far as church productions go. Yeah. As far as church productions of Book of Mormon stories go, I mean- Barring how rare a possession, which you know will never be topped. Oh, I love Vincenzo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Everyone yeah. loves so good. But anyway, so barring how rare a possession, these, these are some of the better. I mean, I mean, if you compare it to like the Book of Mormon scenes from the Testaments movie, I mean, this these things are great. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we the, the the church or BYU or whoever, whatever studios makes these for the church, um, they've announced that there are production delays, and we were going, we were supposed to, they, you know, they they've done they had done a pretty good job in the first half of the year of releasing media in step with Come Follow Me, so that you could watch these videos um, as you were reading with your family or you know reading on your own and you know reading the the Come Follow Me, you know, keeping up with the Sunday school schedule, but now. Now, starting with the stuff in the Book of Helaman and going up through the Third Nephi, I guess some of the Third Nephi stuff was already uh, shot, but uh, Helaman on, there's going to be production delays. Not just you know that it's not coming out this year, but they probably won't even start filming it in some cases until 2022. So Jeez, that far out, wow. Yeah, they had they, they there have been severe production delays. So because you refuse to wear a mask, we can't watch. Mormon saying, oh, ye fair ones for like Here's, three I years. Mean, the, ups, the upside though is that they only started actually, they only released these at the end of last year, started releasing them at right. the end of last year. Right, but again, it was like, sort of like gonna get, conjunct- they, they, everything was out ahead of schedule for Come Follow Me so that you could. Uh, right, right, right. But but they weren't going to have the whole Book of Mormon done by the end of the year. That wasn't the plan. I guess not, but still. So, still. And the delays. And I have noticed, though, like you mentioned, though, they're included in the manuals, which is kind of cool because the church's, uh, the, the developer side of it has gotten a lot better with providing quiet little updates to your gospel library app. Oh, can I, can I, I sorry, I didn't uh, toot your horn, uh, but can I uh, go ahead and uh, do a shout out for my cool cousin? 
Yes. My cool cousin, he works for the church. He's an editor and um, th- you know has worked on things like seminary and institute manuals, et cetera, in an editorial um, role. But uh, one of his roles now is on uh, the electronic media. And he is the one who uh, in, uh, did all the coding to put all of the multimedia links into LDS.org and, uh, and, and the... So, you know, so it used to be that you had to kind of like look like, oh, I'm reading about M and cutting off arms. I want to go find a cool picture of a muscly man that Arnold Freeman drew. And you had to kind of do a separate search. And my cousin Chris is the one who made it so that that picture was just an embedded link in the in the side of the page there. And he's done that with all of the as the videos come out and stuff like that. He he, he's the one who makes all those updates. So thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Yep. And I've enjoyed seeing that. I mean, I've realized just reading Alma right now that now videos have popped up there that were not there yep. just until recently, which is great. I'm love that they're including that stuff. And it's a bummer um, that they have to delay production. But at the same time, I, I'm supposing that the stuff for Helaman, Mormon, Moroni, et cetera, wasn't going to be there anyway, because we're not supposed to have all the videos done right. by the end of this year. Anyway. But either way. No, we could have had nice things sooner. But now we can't have nice It's okay. Things. This gives them more time to do focus more on the war chapters of Alma, which when I was younger, I thought were the greatest chapters in the whole Book of Mormon. And now I find them much less compelling. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're interesting, but I, I, ha- I struggle. Yeah. Like you said, as I, when I was younger, I thought they were cool. And as I get older, I struggle to find their didactic value as far as helping me come There's, across. I mean, how much can you read about blood spilling into the River Sidon, right? It's right. Just, that and also just like all the strategies. And again, it's cool. And, and maybe it kind of like maybe one of the things that it lends some of the, you know, the verisimilitude of helping us see like, you know, these were real people and they had real strategies, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, it's like, okay, we get it. They Tiancum was very clever, a daring man. Not clever enough. Hey man, don't knock Tiankum. He he pulls off one good assassination, but he can't get that second one in the bag. Well, he got the second one in the bag. He just paid for it with his life. Well, okay, fine, fair enough. I feel like it's not it doesn't count though unless you get away. It doesn't count. <laughs> Sorry, Tiankum. That second one doesn't go onto your stats. Sorry, Tiankum. I want I would think they should, I think BYU should produce a lightly fictionalized drama about Tiankum. Like, what was his life before? We could have a whole thing about Tiankum. Do you I think feel like great. he was in the shadow of Moroni? I actually, there's things about in the Book of Mormon that I love from a strictly storytelling standpoint, like how um, Zeezrom, you know, is earlier in there when, when um, Alma, you know, is first meets Amulek, and I'm blanking on the name of the city that they've that he's Amanaya. in. Uh, thank you, Amaniah. Um, and at first, like Zeezrom, you know, he's a bad guy. Then he's converted and they don't hear much from him until way later on when they go on the mission to the Zoramites and like Zeezrom's come along for the ride. Yeah, he's one of the companions. And for some reason, I feel like it's when you're watching a movie or a television show and there's a recurring character that shows up again. And uh, for me, it's just, it doesn't happen a ton in the Book of Mormon, but I love thinking like, oh, this guy wasn't just a one-off that we heard about in some early chapters. He's still there. He's in the gang. He's doing his thing. Yeah, when we're watching, when when my wife and I are watching a show, yeah, and like somebody like shows up, and I'm like, oh, I bet you he's glad that he got more work. You know, <laughs> this casting director and called too. like, hey, we're gonna have you come back. I'm like, yes, thanks, bring me back. And that too. So I just want to give a shout out. Speaking of Third Nephi, which you mentioned, Jared, uh, I have no credit to give for this meme. This is just a meme. There's no story real he- here, but there's a meme that says it just shows two missionaries talking to a guy on the street. 
It says that awkward moment when an investigator wants to get baptized and you share 3rd Nephi 3.7 instead of 1st Nephi 3.7, which I never did on my mission. Now, 1st Nephi 3.7, of course, is that it came to pass, I will go and do the things that the Lord hath commanded, right? Nephi has a lot of faith. But 3rd Nephi 3.7 is all Gadiant and robber stuff, and it fits beautifully. It says, or in other words, yield yourselves up unto us and unite with us and become acquainted with our secret works and become our brethren that ye may be like unto us, not our slaves, but our brethren and partners of all our substance. I just want to have the guy who, who's in the Testaments who talks to Jacob read that scripture. Oh, uh, Jacob. Yeah, with his raspy voice. And he's like, you will be a thing. To the, yes, that one. Wear this funny hat. Yeah. Anyways, this is just a meme, but it's like my favorite meme of the year. Because when I looked up 3rd Nephi 3.7, I was just dying laughing. Yeah, it's like, hey, you... become a Gadianton robber. <laughs> I mean, join the church, join the church. Uh, could you imagine if you did this on accident and some poor investigator is all excited and they're like, okay, can you read this chapter? And they're like, okay. And it's like, okay, so you guys are a cult. Cool. Good deal. Where do I pay my dues? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was warned about you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... I know you were trying to lighten things up because, you know, we're talking about some heavy things, but that was the midway light up. Right. We got to make things heavy again. I'm sorry, Jeff. We got to talk about what's going on with the uh, the current climate of uh, cultural upheaval. So uh, this this uh, this story has already gotten a lot of traction on the TWIM Facebook page. There's been a lot. Of, I've seen a lot of commentary going on here back and forth. But the Trib, the Salt Lake Tribune, has run story in the last week. And the headline is, uh, sorry, I want to get this right. BYU's Black Student Union wants to remove the names from every building on campus. And I remember seeing this and thinking, every building? And then your, uh, were you the one who posted this article? The the comment that you posted along with the link was, yes, every building. So I was actually glad that you said that because that was my question. I was like, wait, every building? Like, yep, every building. So the background here is that you know, we, we've had a lot of, we, we actually talked the last time I was, uh, well, one of the last times I was on the show, we actually talked about the controversy of the Abraham Smoot building, which, you know, mm-hmm. was graffitied. That was, that was the story we were talking about that week. Uh, and the controversy being that Abraham Smoot was a slave owner and that he was, you know, notoriously, you know, as far as historical figures go, one of the more, one of the more obviously racist uh, uh, characters in our church's history, because he actually owned at least one slave. And um, anyway, so we talked about how there are arguments for removing his name off that building. We talked about, you know, the graffiti on Brigham Young's statue and the controversy of some of the, you know, the racial, the racist history uh, surrounding Brigham Young and his beliefs and his teachings. Uh, but now the black student union from BYU is pointing out that these aren't the only problematic figures. And so they, the article specifically points out people like, um, Help me out here. Uh, yeah, George, uh, George A. Smith, George Albert Smith, right? So he's his name's the Smith Fieldhouse, where they have an indoor track, they play volleyball in there, etc. Uh, he said in a in 1949, Negroes are not entitled to the full blessings of the gospel, right? So, and then there's Ezra Taft Benson, the chemistry building. There's a science building on on campus named after him, and we've talked about that as well. The, we had a whole interview with um, Matthew Harris talking about Ezra Taft Benson and uh, how. He believed that this civil rights movement was a communist deception. Uh, we also have the Harold Beely Library. And Harold Beely 
said that if his granddaughter got engaged to a colored boy while she was at the school, he would hold the administrators accountable. So uh, J. Reuben Clark also uh, was against um, blood banks mixing donations from black and white people because he didn't want white people to receive black blood. So, I mean, so when you, when you look at it that way, yeah, there are a lot of problematic figures um, who have their names on buildings uh, all over the BYU's campus. So the, the, the black student union, their, their main uh, recommendation is to replace the names of those buildings instead of with other people who I guess also could end up being problematic, just having descriptors, you know, saying, well, this is the chemistry building or this is the religion building or, you know, et cetera, which is an interesting proposal. And do you want me to keep talking? Cause I have some thoughts. I don't want to, I don't want yes. to. Okay. I, no, no, no. Talk away. So my thought number one is, and this is something that I've just, you know, during this whole, the last few months, as we have just really seen people crying out for help and attention and justice. One of the things that I've been trying to learn to do in, in a better way than I have before is to listen to the voices of those who are calling out. And so like, you know, the, one of the catchphrases of the moment is listen to black voices. And I think that is important. And I think that's important from a covenant perspective. You know, we, we, we talk about this from time to time, but in, uh, when Alma describes the baptismal covenant, one of the things he says to do is to mourn with those that mourn and to comfort those who stand in need of comfort and to bear each other's burdens. And I think that part of that covenant is to listen to black voices and say, I want to mourn with you. And in order to do that, I need to understand where you're coming from and understand that you have a valid and important perspective and that I can't dismiss that perspective just because I don't have the same lived experience as you. Right. So there's a part of me that's listening, reading this article and, and reading through their statement and saying, I, I I am sympathizing and I understand where this is coming from. But I have a, I mean, the other side of me, <laughs> of my approach to this is that, I mean, I think it's hard because, and in this is, there's also a larger conversation going on in this country right now about, you know, the, the so-called cancel culture, right? And it's an interesting conversation, especially since so many people are just completely dismissive of it on both sides. Some people are dismissive of the cancel culture argument saying like, why are we even talking about this? Uh, it's obvious that cancel culture is a good thing and we should be doing this. And then there's other people dismissing on the other side. Anyway, while I think it's important for us to talk about, you know, racist ideas that were promulgated by our leaders and by people whose names are born on the outside of BYU's buildings, at the same time, I don't want to like paint Ezra Taft Benson, for example, as somebody who is only to be known forever, uh, you know, in here on as somebody who had racist ideas. We have to preserve that part of his character, I think, because it's an important part of our history and it would be a disservice and an injustice to the people who he affected through his teachings if we just ignored that part of his character and who he was. But at the same time, I think it's a disservice to his character and to the things that he taught that have blessed people's lives. And I don't know, Jeff, I, I, and this is where I have to say I need help moving forward from here because I want to listen to Black voices. I want to validate and understand and fight for the same cause that they're fighting for. But I also want to... Uh, avoid falling into the trap of make, like making 
understanding the character of somebody in solely one light or solely one angle, because I don't think that does justice to the individual or to that person's family or their friends, etc. So I don't know. That's where I am at. I wonder if you have any thoughts on this issue. Well, it makes me think of some of uh, what Russell was saying when we interviewed him about a month ago, Russell Stevenson. Um, we talked about statues, monuments, things like that, naming buildings after people. And he said, you know, at some point you have to say that you are willingly going to offend or hurt somebody because there's something in that person's past and some part of them that is not great. And it's just a question of what you are willing to accept uh, about those people. Because I, and I admit, I'm with you. Like, I don't know exactly where the line is. Like, we can't just cancel Ezra Tash Benson. <laughs> like, it's not going to work. And, and and it's not to say, it's to, to be clear, it's not to to try to say what many have said, you know, about uh, Brigham Young, for example. Like, oh, well, it was a product of his time. It was a different era. Focus on all the good he did. Yes, yes, yes. Fine. I'm not... That's not the excuse necessarily, but like you said, Jared, we have to we have to have a nuanced view and recognize that some people had abhorrent views, even into the 1960s and 70s, even amongst church leadership, and some of that was a product of their time or from anything else. But it doesn't make it okay. Um, but that's not everything about who those individuals were. But we also have to. I, I get where black voices are coming from. If they say, you know, like you look at the, uh, just sticking on Benson, anyone, someone who's studying agro biosciences or whatever might say it's named after a former prophet of the church who also happened to be the secretary of agriculture. How, what a wonderful thing that his build, this is his legacy. We have a building named after him and I'm proud to engage in my studies in a similar capacity in this building. Whereas to a black letter, they say they could say, "Yeah, this guy didn't want me to marry a white person, and this guy also argued incorrectly, without any historical basis, that Martin Luther King, a great leader of a movement to bring equality to me and my people, was a communist agent." And so, like, how do we reconcile the two? We have to decide which one's more important, essentially, for the long view. And so, I don't have I don't have the answers to it because what do you say? I don't think we dename every building at BYU exactly like that. I know that this group wants to name the buildings just essentially what they are by function. <laughs> we are talking about temple naming earlier. In this case, the buildings would just be, this is the science building. This is the math building. I don't know what you would rename the Swicket. This is the vaguely liberal arts building. <laughs> yeah, it depends and, on which floor of the Swicket you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know how that would work. That's a whole other part of it. The other thing that makes me sad little bit less my opinion of it, but we posted this article on our Facebook page. Some of the comments were pretty disheartening, right? I, I know it's when you read a headline that says the black, BYU's Black Student Union wants to rename every building on campus. And of course, it's I, I fully understand there are many people who immediately meet that with an eye roll, even people who aren't racist or anything like that. But at the same time, some of the comments were terrible because they were just, there were so many that said like, these kids need to get a job. I'm like, what do you mean they need to get a job? Like, do you know anything about these kids? One of the two main individuals they profile, uh, the young man was accepted to BYU Law School and Cornell. He decided to go to Cornell because he felt that that um, BYU Law School uh, essentially, uh, where's the quote, where's the quote, where's the quote, where's the quote? Oh, he said, he wrote a, he said, I was disillusioned by my experiences here. You were baptized in racism, essentially saying, I am black, you are white. And that doesn't have to make us different in that same, in a certain way. 
but you need to understand like where we're coming from people. Like I am deliberately going out of my way not to keep attending BYU because you refuse to listen about these issues. Right. Um, and then, and this and, is, um, you know, and, and, you know, and further, and again, this isn't just somebody, you know, somebody, some people who need a hobby or a job, you know, or whatever that means. But these are people who, like you said, he made this, um, decision to attend a, attend a different school and they describe his experience as well as the, those experiences of a few other students. And like, you know, the, it was a really zoomed out description of like what these people had gone through, but it was harrowing still. Like yeah. one of them talked about uh, being called the N word in the middle of a class and everybody was able to hear it. And the professor said nothing. And so, I mean, that is tacit racism, right? Like, you know, there's explicit racism from on behalf of the person who used the N word. And then yeah. there's the tacit implicit racism of the professor who deigned, you know, couldn't be, you know, bothered to say, Hey, that was inappropriate or, you know, Hey, you know, come talk to me after class, or whatever. Like there was no response. And so what, and that's just, I mean, it seemed to me from the description of the article, it was just sort of the tip of the iceberg of these people's experiences. So again, in the name of mourning with those that mourn and translating that to listening to black voices, when you read something like that, you've got to say, well, this, these aren't just quote unquote people who need to get a job. These are people who have had terrible life altering experiences at a place where they believed that they would be safe because they were among their peers and fellow saints who were followers of Christ. And what would it be like to be disillusioned of that, of that, of that ideal? I think that would be soul shaking. Agreed. So anyway, so I don't know what I'm with you. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how to reconcile the good and bad in people, how to acknowledge racism and faults in our past leaders and the people who, (laughs) whose names we etch into stone outside of our buildings and reconcile that with also the good influence and the, and the light that they brought into the world. I don't know. And so maybe, I mean, maybe the right answer is take the names off the buildings, but maybe the, or maybe the answer is like, leave the names of the buildings and uh, mount a plaque underneath it. It says, Hey, and by the way, <laughs> let's talk That's a little bit about who this is. All these thi- it was all these things. Also, <laughs> he was, he was really big on the John Birch society. I mean, there's I gotta know. be some, there's gotta be some way. And this again was, uh, goes back to our conversation that we had a few weeks ago. Um, about this idea of having to normalize black history within our Sunday school classes, but also why not on, um, you know, why not on campus, normalize black history, tell black stories, make black voices heard so that we can say, I know who Ezra Jack Benson was. And I know on multiple levels, whoever Ezra Jack Benson was, because I was taught that at Brigham Young University, you know, and like, I think something that that would be really admirable if we took that new approach. I think here's the bold move. We renamed the Wilkinson Center the Elijah Abel Center. Boom. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That'd be fierce. Real because, quick. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I also think that that seems like it's easy to say that as a throwaway comment. But at the same time, a lot of the other buildings are named after prominent Latter-day Saints. But also the purpose, the purpose of the building is often loosely associated with that individual. Like the Iring Science Center has a reason it's named after President Iring's dad. Sure. Um, but the Wilkinson Center is just because it was named after a former president of BYU. It's the Student Union Center, right? It doesn't do any, it's a social area. So it's an easy one to rename in that sense to anything you want it to be. So I think that would be a worthwhile something to explore. They could also rename the Fine Arts Building after Gladys Knight. <laughs> they totally should. Oh my goodness. 
And like but you were have like each of the wings of that building, because you know it has multiple wings. You could name That's each you. wing after various pips. <laughs> but the pips didn't join the church as far as whatever. Has to be Gladys and Gladys alone. Whatever. Real quick before we move on, I know you want to get to uh, kind of the big headline story, but uh, real, you know you mentioned the name Eliza as far as uh, or Elijah, Elijah Abel, Eliza, our snow. Real quick before we move on from church history topics. Yes, there yes. is a new collection that's been being released of Eliza R. Snow's talks and writings and poetry. And and she ex- apparently was an extremely prolific speaker and writer. And uh, so they're, they're, they're releasing an initial batch, but over the next couple of years, each quarter, they're going to be releasing more and more of her speeches and poems and writings and such. And it's a cool project. It's, it's going to be kind of akin to the Joseph Smith Papers Project, where it's uncensored. It's not like we're just ch- choosing a selection of what we think is her best stuff. Like this is just going to be everything. And it's going to be a real treasure trove for historians and church history fanatics and enthusiasts. Um, And again, uh, I think you already linked to this on the twin page, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, everybody should check this out. It's a very interesting story and it'll be a really great resource for lots of people, especially since Eliza R. Snow was a very interesting and uh, very inspiring uh, figure in church history who is also Incidentally, also problematic that we have we have at least one instance uh, in a poem that she wrote where she was defending uh, doctrines that we have eschewed about uh, black people being cursed. So, yeah. it so again, not without its problems, not without its uh, history that that merits delving into a little more and acknowledging some of the faults that come along with the people that we praise. But yeah, Eliza R. Snow ch- collection, check it out. I like it. Folks, so we've become accustomed to the church uh, opening new temples in phases for the past number of weeks, right? We've had a, a grab every Monday, a little grab bag of temples, you know, six to eight of them or so. They say we'll enter phase one. Phase one, by way of reminder again, has meant solely living ceilings between a man and a woman. And that's it. Nothing have, proxy. And no, they, yeah, they've already been endowed. You know, no endowment. They've already been endowed. No other living ordinances. Like you're already endowed and you're going to go to the temple and get sealed and that is it. Okay. Um, we are now ready to do a little bit of phase two. And so 12 temples will now have living ordinances in their entirety uh, four months after all temples were closed worldwide. So that's great. All right. In 12 temples, I forgot what the list of others. So the, the temples, it's interesting choice. And I don't want to throw too much shade at Utah, but none of them are in Utah, Utahns, because you need to get your stuff together. Because Billings, Montana. We can't have nice things. Bismarck, Montana. Uh, Bismarck, North Dakota. Billings, Montana. Columbus, Ohio. Copenhagen, a lot of Europe. Copenhagen, Frankfurt, Freiburg, Helsinki, Stockholm, The huh. Hague. So it sounds like then, places where people have worn masks and driven down their COVID infection rate. Well, except for Stockholm. Oh, except for but, Stockholm. That's correct. Yeah. Oh, but, uh, what a mess. Yeah. So anyways, they're going to be fully operational temples uh, effective a week from now. Not Usually these have been more immediate, but a week from now, Monday, July 27th. Normally we'd say, cool. Um, also, they're doing phase one for the, temp, for the Guayaquil, Ecuador Temple, Columbia River, Washington, and Preston, England. On top of that, though, the First Presidency has announced, and I will read... A quote, they say, through inspiration, the methods of instruction in the temple experience have changed many times, even in recent history, to help members better understand and live 
what they learn in the temple. Part of the temple experience includes the making of sacred covenants or promises to God. Most people are familiar with symbolic actions that accompany the making of religious covenants, uh, such as prayer, immersion of an individual to baptism, or holding hands during a marriage ceremony. Similar simple symbolic actions accompany the making of temple covenants. With a concern for all and a desire to enhance the temple learning experience, recent changes have been authorized to the temple endowment ceremony. Given the sacredness of the temple ceremonies, we ask our members and friends not to engage in speculation or public discussions about these changes. A sidebar, can we consider this podcast private for this next part? Sure. Rather, we invite church members to continue to look forward to the day when they may return and fully participate in temple work, prayerfully and gratefully, close quote, as we say in general conference. Um, but you have to say it sort of passively, close quote, close quote, close quote. So, so that's so the gist is they've updated the endowment somehow, and naturally we want to know how. And then they've said, well, even though we're teasing you with this, please don't engage in speculation <laughs> about what it might be. So here we are, Jared. I don't know what to do. Um, there we go. Is there something else, like, you know, can we selectively be obedient, <laughs> as you said in your article? And, Let us be selectively obedient. And is, there, is there some way to rationalize? We're not speculating. We are prognosticating. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we could always just do the right thing and point everyone to the various Reddit threads and others where people are throwing. Re- we are not. Is, wait, did you say do the right thing and point people towards Reddit threads? Like that that sounds do, do the right thing. <laughs> Never said before in the history of the internet, right? <laughs> so um yeah, I don't I, I want to respect what the brethren are saying. I have some ideas what this means. Okay, I'm not gonna i I'm not gonna consider this full speculation. All I'm gonna say is COVID has changed things. This is and they want to reopen the temples for the, the fullness of ceremonies and the endowment. But they also want to bear in mind the need to practice social distancing. And for those of you who've been through the temple, you can think about what that might mean, might or might not mean. Right, and, I, and, I, and I think that's an I think that's a perfectly legitimate statement to make. Like as we are reminded every time a commercial break comes on in Hulu, we live in uncertain times. Oh, I, I I started paying for Hulu two years ago for, without commercials. Ah, it changes your life. It's worth the extra like three bucks a month, man. Maybe it's, I should. Anyway, but the point is, we live in uncertain times, and so the conclusion, and we know that the church, uh, for, you know, the, there have been multiple statements from leadership, for, both from area presidencies as well as from people like President Nelson and Elder Uchtdorf, that we know that they are thinking about our safety and our health, um, and so and encouraging us to practice safe and thoughtful means of keeping ourselves healthy and protected from transmission of disease. So to lead that line of thinking into a, well, maybe there's something they're doing some of the temple to help make sure that we are all doing best practices and doing what we can to keep each other safe and healthy as we resume temple worship. I think that's fine. I think where it would potentially be an inappropriate speculation is if we started delving into how exactly that would be carried about. So, well, of course not. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, uh, there's only so much you could talk about, even, even without the speculation clause, right. there's still only so much we can talk about outside the context right. of the temple. So, but I, I think what you said makes sense. I mean, although, I mean, what's interesting about that, um, that statement is, hang on, let me, let me pull it back up again. Cause I don't, I've been very careful with wording this time around because there's, there's been some sensitive things we've talked about. So yeah, it says, uh, la, la, la. 
the methods of instruction have changed many times. So it's so interesting that they couch it in terms of instruction methods to help members better understand and live what they learn in the temple. And they also say they want to enhance right. the experience. Enhancing the experience. So it's is that is that simply a euphemism for we're we're doing safe things to help you not catch COVID? Or is there or is there something else? I mean it, the way it's worded, it, as far as enhancing uh, our experience and improving teaching methods, I mean there could be other things that we haven't thought about. So I don't know. Um, I don't I don't know if this is speculation, but who I, I think they're going to have Oculus Rift involved. Oh, like like a like a VR helmet sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's okay to speculate about that because it's outlandish. So, <laughs> right. I mean, I was thinking more along the lines of like you know that Disneyland Abraham Lincoln feature and have like an animatronics. But you're you're like twenty <laughs> steps ahead of me. We're gonna find out. It's really all it is is they've upgraded all the projectors to 8K just to be ahead of the curve. That's all it is. Like we know we've we've uh, we've we've we're changing all the projector bulbs to enhance your. Anyway, experience. Who, we'll we'll see. Those of you in those temple districts, some of you will get a chance, and um, you know, word's gonna get out about this eventually, obviously, of but uh, and what it means. But we have some of those slight guesses that we've hope we're being respectful about, especially because they only did a major upgrade to the whole endowment 18 months ago when they changed it. So I just think this seems like a react. It might be a reactive cautionary move rather than like a planned out yeah. foreseen change the temple work kind of move. Yeah. And again, and at the end of the day, since we, it, you know, all of this has been quote unquote speculative, not speculating, sorry. Uh, just that's the, the funny thing to me about this announcement and what really, the, and, and it's sort of the most maddening thing about the announcement, right? Is that they're like, here's this thing that's like central to your lives and we've built it up as sort of the central, you know, hub of our worship, uh, you know, these temple ceremonies, like it's, it's a huge, important thing. And then we make this vague announcement of things changing <laughs> And then, and then, in conclusion, please don't speculate about what this may mean. Don't talk about it, guys. <laughs> just, just ignore. Never mind. It's, back, maybe, maybe, it, maybe it's a massive test of our faith and obedience. Like they're deliberately. Is this our generation's <laughs> Abrahamic so, test? So they're almost gonna. They're almost gaslighting us, and then it's like, all right, but don't. Yeah, it's our Abraham. Is it gonna be like you know Moses coming down from the mountain, and he's like, you know what? You know, we were going to give you these new enhanced instruction techniques in the temple, but you can't handle it. We're breaking the tablets. But on the upside, which we always forget in that story, Moses wasn't just mad about the golden calf. He melted it down and then made them drink it. Yeah. They were punished by ingesting the molten calf. Yeah, we it? leave out too much of the good stuff in our. Oh yeah, no, no, it's so funny. Like, yeah, we we love to tell these Bible stories, but then edit out the grizzly part. Like, kind of, well, oh, the grizzly part. No, Elijah no, kind of, sicking a bear on kids is one right. of the Best passages. Well, that well, and so how many times in general conference have you heard the story about Elijah uh, with the, the J Elijah? Um, you know going up against the priests of Baal and he dumps all of the barrels of water on his altar. And then he calls right. down fire from heaven and, and he lights the altar. And then when they can't do it, he's like, is your, where's your God? Is he asleep? And then it, they always end the story there when the, the account in the, in the old Testament continues on with, and then he pulls out a knife and he slaughters all the priests of Baal. <laughs> like, and it's like, Oh man, Elijah, he got real violent there at the end. So anyway, yeah, there's tons and you of you wonder like why that. people, 
had a hard time accepting Christ during his mortal ministry. Right. When there was all this history of how intense the Talmudic experience was, uh, yeah, like no wonder Jesus was regarded as a heretic when he came down and said, we need to love a little bit more. Right. right. I mean, like, like, let's not discount. I mean, there are plenty of examples of a, of a gentle and loving God in the old Testament as well. Um, but yeah, it's just, yeah, it, it is, it is interesting. You may, you wait. Yeah. It, it does make you wonder if they were waiting for him, for Jesus to like pull out the knife and start throwing down the Romans. Or, you know. I'm trying to remember if it was Leviticus or Deuteronomy. My mission president told me he just kind of uh, speed read through. It was one or the other. Well, I, we were, Bruce R. McConkie uh, said something about how like Leviticus was like the least like least useful book in all of the canon or something like well, that. Yeah, I mean, the whole every other verse is something about a sweet savor. Like it, it's it's interesting if you really want to learn the nitty gritty about how sacrifices went down, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have as much that's pertinent to your personal worship. And I know there's some enterprising, you know, you know who you are. You're the father dwelt in a tent people who want to find something in nothing. You know who you are. But Leviticus is the same thing. There's there's not a lot to pull out of. Well, that's, I, mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess you know, there's a whole. I mean, you know centuries millennia of jewish talmudic and midrash tradition of like really pulling all the meaning out of it i'm sure they found some cool stuff but no it's harder for me as a modern latter-day saint (laughs) well that's us folks i think we're gonna call it there unless we have a couple of leftover stories jared let's leave them in the bin all right stay there where you are bin stories everyone we hope you'll support us on patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash this weekend mormons where you can pledge two dollars a month that's all i'm asking and it'll help me keep this thing alive and and make me feel incentivized if you will right um don't be like the company that has a cap on commissions you know like incentivize me as a salesman and uh, join us on facebook and on instagram and on twitter and all those great places subscribe to the show if you haven't done so and i'll put the call out there once again if you haven't left a review on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts it would be immensely lovely if you would do so also if there's any links that we forgot to put out there and i, I there's i know that like at least three times in the show i've said it we'll put the link up if we forget to do that let us know give us a little nudge We'll put it out there. Make Jeff earn his Patreon money. Please do. Please do, everyone. I appreciate that. And that's going to be a wrap. Jared, thanks for being here, man. Good talking to you. Oh, like I said, I'm always happy to be here. Good talking with you too, Jeff. Jared Gillins, when we meet again, I believe we'll be having a very interesting discussion with a former guest of the show, but I'll leave that at that. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Please don't speculate about who that that guest is. (laughs) You are not free to speculate in any capacity whatsoever. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you again soon. This Week in Mormons is out. Be well, be holy, and be happy.